right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maize and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast that is using every ounce of its collective energy to not just scream into a microphone for the next two and a half hours. I am Jared Stormer of maizeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate. Andy, you great woolly Appalachian warlock. You earthbound angel with the endurance of Steve, Pre- Steve Prefontaine. You beautiful, sweet bastard. We owe the listeners some Wolverine tattoos. How you feeling? I, I've never felt better. Like, flat, flat out. This is the peak of my life. I'm ready for the good Lord to take me at every once. I can't wait to get tattoos, and I'm not going to say we won't get more if they win a natty. Yeah, I mean, we already made kind of another side bet that that's coming. Uh, the glasses are back on. Life is as good as possible, my friend, after Michigan defeated Ohio State for the first time in a decade, 42-27. to 27. Belief has been restored. Decency in the universe has been restored. I mean, you were there and you wrote maybe one of my favorite things you've ever wrote, kind of giving a timeline of your day there. Give me just like a, a brief a brief synopsis of what that was like to witness your first Ohio State victory in person and to be there. It was like the first time I saw my girlfriend naked. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was surreal, man. Like I I wrote in the piece uh, on maizeandbrew.com, check it out, the live diary. And I just really want to capture all the emotions I experienced during the day, the fear, the anxiety, the inability to eat, drinking, talking with friends, talking to fans just having a good time, the ups and downs, riding the wave, the fear of Travion Henderson, the excitement of Aiden Hutchinson sacks. And I feel like I really captured it, man. And it's a moment, a game that'll never be topped for me. And it's easily just the the best sporting experience I'll ever experience in my life. It's going to be hard to top it for anyone that was there. I am kicking myself that I was not there. I am in the middle of a travel debacle for the ages trying to get out of the country. We'll see if it even happens now. But I should have been there. I'm so happy for you. I'm happy for so many people, man. I'm happy for these fans that stuck it out for a decade and showed up on this day and showed up in a big way. We had been kind of critical of that environment in the past, and it has really improved this year. That was the best environment I've ever seen. And apparently the best environment Joel Klatt or Matt Leinert or Brandstad or Deerdorf had ever seen. It was something to behold. And I mean, just props to this crowd. I'm so proud of of the Michigan faithful, and I'm so happy for them all, too. Shout out Section 18, Road 92. We were getting after it the whole time. <laughs> Nobody sat down in any section. I could, ter- could tell the entire game. The energy was through the roof. The pom-poms were a great idea. The live music by something named DJ Ski was fantastic. Just like mixing up the ones and twos, keeping the energy electric, the snow falling. I mean, it was... A, the best home field advantage I've ever been a part of at any game. And I've been to a lot of several other schools games. It was just, it was unbelievable how loud it was there. And five false start penalties. You kidding me? I mean, incredible. And the crowd played a huge role in that. And in years past, that had not been the case. Ohio state is usually well represented there. So wanted to definitely give props to that crowd. And I will forever regret not being there, but uh, we had a podcast. It was last year, mid November. It was after the Wisconsin game. Uh, they housed us 49 to 11. We named that pod the darkest timeline, thinking that things could not possibly get worse. Well, as we sit here recording this in December now, and our season is not over, this has to be the greatest timeline. This is the greatest season you and I have ever covered by a long shot. 
that's pretty easy. Now you're getting into realms of like the 1997 season of how great this is. Obviously, there's work to be done, but this is this is the the kingdom of man trying over triumphing over Lord Sauron. This is this is good versus evil personified and man it's just the weight has been lifted a weight that really can only be compared to like climate change or maybe that one week where all those boy scouts were stuck in that that flooding cave for like for, for a couple of days like the weight is lifted it was it's just tremendous like you see former players feeling and sharing the same relief like this was for jordan lewis this is for jabril pepper for jake rudock for everybody that's ever been there with jim harbaugh and been a part of the change so it's just so much. Everyone just feels so much levity. Michigan Twitter is unified, which was I thought was nigh impossible. So oh. even that's going to – nobody cares about the basketball season. They're playing North Carolina tonight, and everyone's like, yeah, but that Big Ten championship, though. So everything has changed, man. One game swung so much, and winning this weekend against Iowa – Put you in the tiers of 97. That's the next tier. Like right now, we're sitting around the 03 range. Like we win this game, we're in 97 range. Yes, you're 100% correct. And definitely put to bed any questions about it being a basketball school. We were just waiting. And I would say the, the storming of the field and that just general vibe. You didn't hear any negativity from any of the players or any of the coaches. It was just everyone on the field. And yeah, it, it was great, man. All right, let's get into the actual game because it was one for the ages. It was a bit of a beatdown. But early on in this thing, man, you're in there, you're in the crowd, you're feeling this. We go right down the field and score seven and get a three and out. What is it like in there and what's your level of belief at early on when we're starting to establish dominance? And then also talk about that play call that we've been setting up for six weeks and apparently so have they. Oh, man, that play call, so the reverse, the fake swing to Donovan Edwards, and then the silky ball handling and smooth by Cade Mack, like a Statue of Liberty, to A.J. Henning, screaming off the edge, and then right into the end zone, the place erupts, and then after their three and out on that third down was one of the loudest the stadium was the entire game. I thought I thought it was just going to come unglued or unhinged, like people were going nuts, and then you get the completion to Roman Wilson and. I was like, are, are we going to blow him out? Like, are we about to just hang a 50-burger on him and leave early? Like, it was unbelievable. I even had that thought at that time with all the history, but the belief was so in it at the moment. It had to have been, especially after that three and out where Michigan just imposes their will early on in that thing and goes right down the field. That play call is the most silky smooth play call of the year. Cooler than the underside of a pillow. Josh, Josh Gaddis, pay the man. Pay the man because he's going to get some offers. He has been in his bag this season. And, uh, yo, I think we said it after Nebraska that, like, yo, they're they're going to set something up with that yep. reverse. Like, they've been running it a couple times, and, and we knew it, it was being saved for this game, and there it was. Um, you know, we're, we're going to pat ourselves on the back until we maybe cause some lower lumbar injuries on this one because, you know, it's good to be right. And that was freaking awesome, and, and props to Gaddis on that, and uh, props to the defense for getting that three and out. Well, if you just go back the entire season, you can just see Gaddis progressing and building things, breaking habits, doing things here and there. And you made the great point last week against Maryland. Instead of not putting anything on tape, they put so much on tape in just that one game that it had to be overwhelming. It's like, well, if they do this here, they're going to do that. And then, no, now this, and now that's there. So Gaddis just deep, deep, deep in his bag in this one. A masterful game by him, and we'll get to the masterful game by McDonald here in a little bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it was uh, Doug Karsh who said that they scored that touchdown um, to AJ Henning on the reverse the week before with everything that they did to Donovan Edwards. So when they fake that swing pass, you have no choice but to react to that with how uh, impressive Donovan Edwards has been. So that's great. And that was incredible. AJ Henning brings the punt back. All of a sudden we're in plus territory. And like you said, are we going to house them? Are we going to go up 14, nothing? Kate McNamara throws into triple coverage, uncharacteristic throw there. Uh, did that start to, did that crush you too much? What was your weight of belief there? It was more sobering than anything. It's like, okay, it's going to be a game. It's going to be a battle. And I've had faith in Cade all year, especially after he makes mistakes. He just shakes them off. It's always next play mentality. So I'm like, okay, they're going to get the ball back, probably going to score, and we're going to be in it. I was like, it's going to be a fight now, not just a knockout. Yes, most definitely. Um, they uh, they come down the field. We hold them to 7-3 on the first sack from Aiden Hutchinson. So keep him out of the end zone. He gets one of his three on this day. And not only... Was he getting sacks, getting pressure? 15 of them, the most that has 15. ever... 15! 15 pressures, the most ever recorded since PFF started tracking it. But he was getting them at consequential times, which, you know, pat ourselves on the back again. We said he was going to play his best game here in the biggest moment, and boy, did he. So hold them to a field goal there. How big was that to hold them there? Massive, because their red zone offense is is, is good. Like it's not as good as you think it would be, both explosive as it is. Like, okay, they have something in the bag here, some trick play, all these weapons, they'll do something. But no, they get the penalty on third down, and then Hutch gets the sack right after it. And oh my goodness, the place just explodes. Like, okay, this isn't 18 or 19 anymore. Like, they're not just going to march it down and score at will on us. No, and we showed that early on. We also showed that we were going to run the, the ball well on this team. So the rest of the first half kind of trading scores there. We end the half 14-13, really good drive with three minutes left in the half. Uh, one play I wanted to point out, R.J. Moten with a chance at keeping points off the board right before the half. Did end up holding him to a field goal, but he had a, an interception. I won't say an easy interception, but it, it really hit him right in both hands and then in the chest there. Could have actually been a bigger deficit at the half very easily. Exactly. Yeah, that one. Oh, man. I thought he had it. I was celebrating in the stands with the group, and then it looks like he dropped it. Uh, oh, but again, like very difficult interception. He still made a hell of a play on the ball, and you held him to a field goal ultimately. So it wasn't like too devastating. No, definitely not. Uh, but then we go into the halftime. It's like I said, it's 14 13 at the half, and want to talk in depth about this second half, but. Want to take a moment to talk about Home Field Apparel out of Indianapolis, which we've been saying all year. We're on our way. We're coming to see our people at Home Field Apparel, and I have to think it's a good omen. Um, ever since that, they started working with us here. Things have been trending that direction, and you know I'm going to reward myself with some Home Field Apparel apparel after that one. So if you're a Michigan fan, they've got you covered with old school, new school designs, and I think you got to get something to celebrate this season, and you can get 20% off when you do that with your purchase at MNB at checkout, homefieldapparel.com. All right, man, 14-13. We're coming out of the half. Looks like this is going to be a game, but we are always close with Ohio State going into the half. I mean, and if you go back the last, you can go back quite a ways. These are generally not blowouts at the half. So is it weird that my confidence was much higher at the half? And where were you at going into this thing? I knew the first drive was going to be just integral to whatever is going to happen. They get the ball. They can take the lead. They could really set the tone here. And then they open up with three straight runs. And it's like they're trying to establish Travion Henderson because he's the straw that stirs the drink on that offense. When he's humming, everything's going. So on third and two, they run the ball. 
and our boy, team captain, Josh Ross, shoots the gap for a third down stop. And at that moment, I'm like, oh, we're going to open up now. Like that that third down stop might have been the play of the game because that did so much for all the momentum. It was one of them. It was one of them. And then the next drive that we'll talk about in a second. And you're absolutely right. This third quarter was the best quarter of Michigan football that I can remember. Um, I mean, I'm sure there was something in 1997 when I was 10 that was super awesome, but I do not recall it as of right now. This was so fun to watch, and the physical nature in which they were winning in this third quarter started right there. And I see you, Josh Ross. I absolutely see you in this game. He played phenomenally and was a leader out there. And, you know, we'll get to it here when we talk about game balls, but, like, everybody played awesome in this. It's hard to pick somebody that had a bad game the way Mike McDonald schemed this thing up about keeping everything in front, make them drive the length of the field and eat up the clock. Even when they needed to score fast, it still took them almost five minutes late in the game. Like McDonald had everybody just coached to perfection, just two penalties the whole game, two penalties. Vincent Gray got one, got flagged uh, one PI late. It was kind of a soft PI. It is what it is. Everyone was just perfect. Nobody was gambling. No one was playing hero ball. Gaps were filled. Assignment sound football. I was blown away at this defense and where they started the season and where they are now because that was just incredible. Absolutely. It, uh, I mean, the defense has been really good all year, but this game really showed that this is a defense that, while not as statistically good as, say, some of the Don Brown teams early on or the uh, DJ Durkin teams early on, was a defense that could adapt and had the pass rushing threat that it didn't really matter what you're trying to attack us with. We have a way to adjust. And with this game, it showed that they were super prepared coming in and that preparation really paid off. So we go to offense after that and they open the playbook up in the third quarter. It's the most enjoyable third quarter of all time. As the boys would say, I mean, this was a, a lotion passing type of type of third quarter they were absolutely emptying the playbook you got flea flickers you got uh, you got Blake Corum on a bum ankle going for 55 in this you got CJ with a huge catch in there kind of talk to me about what you thought about the offensive execution uh, execution especially in that third quarter now this is back-to-back games with monster third quarters from this team don't forget 28 points in the third quarter against Maryland so coming out of the half the last two weeks this offense has just been humming and it was great. It really got set with attacking the edges, like getting uh, Quorum to the outside, getting Haskins to the outside. Like they'd spent so much time pounding it up the middle. They're like, okay, let's move it out here a little bit. Oh, we can beat you here on the edge as well because our exterior blocking with Eric All, Mikey Sainer still, and all of the receivers, every single one that played was finishing blocks in this game and putting people on their ass. And they opened, opened it all up because once you could do that, you can't block us on the inside. You can't block us on the outside. Cade's dealing. What are you going to do about it? It's so tough to stop someone at that point. And like, yeah, you can throw out flea flickers and, and all these crazy things then because they're so worried about the run, which you established early on in this. We threw the ball four times in the second half, only when we needed to do it. And they were all they were all good throws. J.J. McCarthy comes in, gets a couple runs, and also they let him throw it. And he throws a ball that is into a tight window to yeah. Roman Wilson down the right sideline. And that is a tendency-breaking play right there. It has to be. They expect run when he comes in. They let him throw, and McCarthy delivers. So, like I was saying, there's nobody that had a bad game. McCarthy comes in, and when his number was called, he delivered as well. I felt so good for J.J., like because he didn't get to play at Penn State. 
and you know they want to ride with their horses, but this shows so much confidence in the coach that what the coaching staff has in him that you come in here at the biggest game of the season after he colossally screwed up against Michigan State several times as a freshman does. And he came in here and was perfect, did his job, was spinning on runs, getting close to the end zone, dropping dimes, locked in, man. Like, so it felt really good to see him also shake that off of him and grow before our eyes. All right. So this thing gets down close. We're kind of trading back and forth going into the fourth quarter. I want to know when in this fourth quarter did you actually start to believe? Because they pulled it back within eight. And I was horrified. I thought that when they pulled it back within eight, I believe it was 28-20, I thought they were going to go for uh, two. And I was like, that's going to crush us because we have had like horrible, horrible times stopping two-point conversions this year. They do not go for two on any of their touchdowns there in the fourth quarter, which um, I'm glad they did not. But when did belief start to set in for you that this was actually happening? You're about to experience a win. So after they cut it to 28-20, and we just ran the ball right down their throat again and scored. I'm like, I started to think they can't, they can't stop us. Like they're they can't stop us. And it's not gonna get easier to tackle Hassan Haskins later in the game. For God's sakes, you can't tackle him now. So at that point, when it was 35 to 20, I was like, okay, I think we're gonna do it. But obviously, there's always that pit of doubt just sitting in your stomach that wasn't gone until the clock hit zeros. I mean, we've had an anvil on our back with like a, a large Croatian man pounding down on it with a mallet for the last yeah. 10 years. So I understand maybe some hesitancy there, but I agree. It was right around then. And I, that was the first time I texted you. I mean, you weren't receiving my text. All I texted you was Andrew in all caps. <laughs> and I texted my stepdad, Paul, dot, 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 because belief is starting to creep in because there was like seven minutes and some change left at that mm -hmm. point. And we were able to run the ball and they couldn't really stop us. And they, it was taking them time to score. I mean, they were not putting together explosive drives like they usually do. Now, their, their receivers got their numbers in this game. Two guys over 100 and Olave had 88. But they weren't able to get that huge back-breaking score in 30 seconds or a minute and a half kind of deal. So at that point, I'm like, okay, if it takes them two minutes to score, we're easily going to run off three minutes. Yeah, I this, was like, I'm starting to do the math around then. Yeah, this is what Oregon did to them. Oregon let them pass all they wanted, but was physical with the line of scrimmage and shut down Henderson in their backs. And if you can pound the ball on them, like Gaddis even said later on after the game that we knew they're a finesse team, but they're not a tough team. Like, and we're physical and we pride ourselves on that. I mean, low, I mean, high key flex, let's go. But <laughs> that's exactly what he did. Like it was just, it took them five minutes to score. It played such complimentary football on both sides. Offense ran the ball. Defense made him go the length of the field. And then once they cut it to 35, 27, it's like, they have to stop us here. And then just Haskins, Haskins, Haskins. And then he hurdles the guy that ripped Roman Wilson's helmet off and then just oh. gets up talking trash and people, oh my I would die for Hassan Haskins. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, sound like hyperbolic, but yeah, I'd die for him. I would absolutely die for Hassan Haskins. And look, I don't read Pablo Naruto, but that was poetry to me. Both <laughs> what you just said and what I witnessed on the field. And yeah, they were only even able to catch back up in this due to some incredible catches yeah. by their receivers in great coverage all day by Turner and Gray. And when we get to the players in this, we'll talk about them a little more. But yeah, once he hurdled that man, I think that was kind of when we all knew this is actually going to happen. Um, what was the moment... And I don't want to like put words into your mouth thinking that was the greatest moment. But what was the moment that you would say the crowd had the biggest reaction? Was it like the Haskins hurdle? Was it when they finally put it in? Was it when they took the knee there at the end? 
Uh, there are several. I meant, I alluded to that third down earlier. The Haskins hurdle is when it erupted. That's when I headed down to storm the field. I was like, ball game, we're done. I need to get ready. And then once you, um, once he pounded it in, once the final stop happened and victory formation was coming out, it was a fever pitch the rest of the time. You couldn't hear yourself think it was so loud. I mean, it was it felt like an earthquake was happening because you knew the explosion was coming of everybody just kind of hovering at like a 10, 11, and we're going to shoot it to 100 immediately after that. And you'll never forget it, man. Oh, my God. Man, I just watched it on TV, and I'll never forget it. That was 10 years of frustration there. So just an incredible game, kind of a beatdown. Could have been more of a beatdown. I mean, if we just kick a field goal there instead of turning it over early on, do they even really have a chance there late in the game, or is this thing over in the third quarter? But regardless, we get it done. Jim Harbaugh exercises his demons. He is now, without a doubt, the biggest bargain of all coaches, especially with the madness that I'm assuming we created by beating Ohio State in college football. I have to assume that they were just not ready for us to beat Ohio State, and that's why the college football landscape is completely on its head right now. But no single win, no single moment is going to change the fortunes of more people, at least in, in our sphere that we live in, than that that we witnessed last Saturday. I, I just I can't put into words how happy it made me. And I know everyone there and outside of it, like you included, like I've just been so happy. It's like finally, like 10 years of this, finally there's hope again. Like you feel like just optimistic about different things. You feel good about the sport, feel good about everything. Like you're naturally a nicer person. Like you don't have to go online and have 10 people call you an idiot and your coach can't get it done for the 11th straight year it's gone it's off our shoulders like can finally enjoy like just the the it's relief is what it is it's relief it's elation and it'll never be replicated because of everything we went through the pandemic just made every it's exacerbated the whole situation it'll never be like this ever again so enjoy it for 360 50 however many days we got left because that was sweet well, drink it in now, especially because our season is not done. And Facts. our coverage, is, we got so much more to talk about. All right, let's talk about some of the players in that and our predictions for that game. You, uh, you mentioned that writing your article about what we learned and talking about that, it was very difficult to come up with a player of the game. I, I mean, obviously, it's Hutchinson and Haskins. The, the people we said were going to be the players of the game in our podcast. That is not exactly groundbreaking news. That's not... That's not some like journalistic leap off of a cliff there, but it was those guys. But who else in this game do you think deserves some flowers? Because there's a lot of them. Everybody that played minutes, but <laughs> <laughs> even those that didn't. Let's let's go specific here. Just some names you haven't heard as much. Eric All on the outside. Oh I believe he only God. had one catch, and but was just. Trim- I mean. Dude, his blocking, he was blocking like his mother was kidnapped and was like across right behind the man in front of him. Eric all just blocks with such vengeance and aggression. Like it's, it's amazing to watch. Like it is incredible to watch that man block and defensively. I'll give you two. I'll give you Rod Moore and junior Colson fresh, a freshman linebacker playing in this game against that offense. And we've seen him have to grow throughout the year, really struggled against Nebraska, struggled against Michigan state, just was so much better here in all assignments. And also Rod Moore, another true freshman is incredible, unbelievable on the rewatch. It's insane how good Rod Moore is in this. He's an adult out there. (laughs) Like 
pushing people around and telling them to get aligned as an 18-year-old three-star recruit out there making game-changing plays in the biggest game of the year, watched by 15.89 million people, by the way, mm-hmm. most watched college football game in history. Um, Rod Moore's out there making a name for himself. Junior Colson's another one that you mentioned. Um, I've got two more for you on defense. Chris Hinton and Mozzie Smith, who just don't get talked about enough. We've got to give them their flowers where it's due. I mean, you help, you hold Ohio State to their lowest rushing uh, yardage since I believe like 2000. And do you have that? Is it 2004? Something like that. I know this is four yards yeah, total. The first time their defensive line hasn't had a tackle or their defense hasn't had a tackle for loss in like 16 years. Not one. It's insane. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, props to them on offense, the entire offensive line. I mean, they've already, they've been talked about quite a bit. So this isn't saying anything new. The entire offensive line played the best game. John Madden, text Jim Harbaugh. I don't even know John Madden still was operating phones. I assume he's like 96. That's awesome. Shout out to him. Yeah. Shout out to him for his longevity. I mean, that dude is dude's still out there texting people. I mean, I I don't think I'm going to be able to operate a phone at that age. And he's texting him and, and Sharon Moore about how that is the greatest offensive line performance he's ever seen. So props to them. AJ Henning in this game was awesome. AJ Henning was fantastic. Every time they punted the ball, I just said, please catch it. Just, that's I don't need a return. Just please catch it. He always made the right decision. He was great in blocking. He was beautiful on the reverses. Just con- every player played so confident and so loose. Like one of the last things Harbaugh said to him before they took the field in this game was, have the time of your life. Have fun. And everyone on that field was having fun at all times. Like it just looked enjoyable. Like you're with your best friends in the biggest stage in front of almost 16 million people. And they're playing that loose. Like they're just in the backyard. Does Michigan have the best culture of any college football team in the nation right now? If you disagree, I'll fight you. Yes, of course they do. (laughs) And they build it from the ground up. Remember where we were last year. This is the darkest timeline. I just repushed an article I wrote last year after we lost to Penn State. It was scathing. I mean, I was irate, probably just at my own life in general and this football team combined, but everything has changed. And it it starts with Jim Harbaugh, the coaches he let go, the coaches he promoted, the coaches he brought in. This was his baby from the jump. And now he set up his incentive-based contract, and he's going to give all those incentives back to the Michigan Athletic Department for those impacted by COVID that took pay cuts. That's my coach, man. Dude. Preach, preach, brother. Uh, part of the reason that my uh, my travel plan has been so upset is that uh, both my grandparents got COVID right as I was about to board a flight. They are at the University of Michigan Hospital where the difference is so evident, man. And it extends beyond just like what they do and what you see on the football field. It is the Michigan difference. And like what Harbaugh has done and committed to do after taking a pay cut, I mean, he's making less than half of what Franklin and Mel Tucker are making to be sitting on the sidelines this next weekend. And then the money that he did make, that extra money, he's giving away to the people that are impacted. I mean, it is the coolest story that really kind of got pushed under the rug. And look, I mean, that is fantastic, but we might have to find some of that Stephen Ross money uh, (laughs) to to pay our coordinators because now like these guys are going to get job looks, especially with the college football coaching landscape being really upended this last week. Um, Gaddis is going to get a look. I assume Hart's going to get a look at him as an offensive coordinator. McDonald's not far off from getting a look if he's not getting looks already. Clinkscale's going to get a look. So, uh, yeah, time to pony up because this coaching staff, give them all their flowers. 
I think that money is definitely coming in. And unless there's a scandal, I will say it now. I'll never call for Jim Harbaugh's job again because of how wrong I was. Like, I will just eat all the crow. Unless there's a scandal and a complete breakdown of something, I will never call for his job again if it's all just on the field dependent. Facts, man. And look, you and I, we've already eaten crow for what happened last year. We were upset after the games because, you know, it's two. We were one in three after that 49-11 beatdown by Wisconsin when I was saying, you know, maybe it's time to move on. Like, you can't necessarily blame us, but also it is clear that we made the wrong choice and we were overreacting. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I will never again say such blasphemy. You just bought yourself another decade. Yeah, and and credit to Harbaugh, too. He changed because when he came to Michigan, it was all me, me, me. Look at this attention I'm getting. And now you notice his interviews. It's all player-centric. It's all, I'm trying to get out of here. Talk to Eric Hall. Talk to Kay McNamara. Like, he changed his approach. He's no longer the guy that rubs everybody the wrong way and outstays his welcome like he did at San Fran. He's changed completely. So you couldn't predict that. So credit to him for the growth and the growth of the program that translated from it. Dude, you're absolutely right. And the culture difference was maybe one of the biggest things. And it was something we noticed early on in the season against Washington, definitely against Wisconsin, against Nebraska, these little things that you're starting to see that are like, man, this feels different. And you're absolutely right about the player centricity of this team. It has always been about them. And, you know, historically the best teams, the teams that go on to do great things are teams led by their best players. And Aiden Hutchinson, their best player is without a doubt, one of the best team leaders I've ever seen. We're talking like Tim Tebow-esque leader, and he's on the defensive side of it. Like you're starting to hear comparisons. Is there any world where Hutchinson should not be representing the Wolverines and the Big Ten in New York for the Heisman Trophy? No, he should win it. I'm just going to flat he out. He should win it. He should win it. I'm going to flat out just say it right now. Aiden Hutchinson should, should win the Heisman. And there's a huge opportunity this weekend against Iowa to further that statement. He racks up two or three more sacks, and they just wreak havoc the whole game. Aiden Hutchinson could win the Heisman. And again, I will cry. I will cry if they win the Big Ten. So it'd be the third time I cried this year. I, I was just <laughs> that was the last point I wanted to bring up. There's obviously nothing wrong with crying after this victory. I wanted to see, like, when did you cry? Was it on the field? Because I was crying for you on the field. One of the five to six times I've cried. And uh, the last time I cried, I think I got hit by a bus. So, like, <laughs> this, was, this was a worthy cry. It's been a few years since I let the tears flow. But this one, it was when I was making my way down to the field. I stopped, and there was a very, very old fan. He was standing, of course, clapping. And I shook his hand, and I told him we did it. He was 93 years old, and he was super sweet. And he, he, he may never see a Michigan victory again. At that age, you never know. 93 years old out there supporting and just shaking his hand and saying, man, we did it. And him just shaking my hand, just enthusiastically. I just lost it. I lost control. Tears were coming down, and then I got on the field, and it just got worse. Man, that's so beautiful. It was a couple times for me. It was uh, as soon as I saw Hutchinson running onto the field crying, um, I ran out into the yard. I was watching by myself as I have done all season. I couldn't break tradition. Yes. You know, I had to had to stay alone in a safe place. And yeah, I just fell into the grass and like I, I, I cried. I have no problem admitting it. Dan Deardorff cried. All right. It's fine. <laughs> that, Dan Deardorff seems like without a doubt the greatest Midwest grandfather of all time. I need to drink a Budweiser and fish with that man. That It has to happen. And like you said at the, at the top, like everything that came out of storming the field was positive. There was no burning couches or rioting or flipping cars. It was just pure and utter happiness. Like everyone was just 
so happy. I, I can never remember a time when a hundred thousand plus people are together like that and there's no negative. It's just all positive energy. Everyone it was the happiest place in America that day. I would have to say that if you believe in uh, karma and positive energy and all that nonsense, that that would have probably been the most positive energy, like concentrated in one place at one time on that day. And so happy for you, man. So happy for this fan base. But like we said, the job is not done. And that means our job is not done. We have work to do. And man, things are getting exciting here, both for us on Out of the Blue and Amazing Brew in general. Big things coming for us, and we've got a big, big second half of this pod coming up, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. We're going to be back with probably the most important second half of our entire lives. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, 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 I would say. All right. We've got that coming up for you. We're going to talk about the Big Ten Championship that is on the line and some more. We'll be back right after this. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue, and to say that we have an extra special second half of this podcast is an understatement. We never have any guests on here outside of my stepdad and some guy that bummed a lighter off of us outside of a Nebraska game. This week, we are extremely fortunate to have the multi-talented Sklar brothers, Jason and Randy, with us, hosts of View from the Cheap Seat podcast, Dumb People Town podcast, actors, comedians, loyal and honest Michigan fans. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on to talk Michigan football with us. This is a real treat. Thanks for having us. I yeah, mean, we we're love it. fans of Maze and Brew, fans of, you know, we consider as like we live out in LA, so to stay connected kind of with our Michigan brethren and Wolverine faithful, we like sort of consume every podcast especially when the season is good and you just want to relive it's like you just want to watch the replay of the game you just want to hear the analysis of you know can Aiden Hutchinson can he is he going to New York he should be in New York why can't the Heisman Trophy be given for the best player you know the sort of all that stuff we like to chew it over again so happy to be on the podcast yeah, this is awesome for us too, man. And uh, you're absolutely right. Aiden Hutchinson should be represented in New York. And we will get to that. But uh, wanted to take a quick look backwards here. Uh, you guys were at Michigan at arguably the best time for baseball, hockey, football simultaneously in Michigan history. Do you see any parallels between where we're at now? Um, you know, aside from what happened with Michigan basketball right now, last night. But you've got a hockey team that's really poised to make a run and a football team on the verge of a Big Ten championship or playoff. So how do you guys kind of compare those two times? I mean, I would say probably, Rand, you can disagree with me, but I would say that Michigan football right now in this season is better than any of the football teams we had. And we did have a Heisman Trophy winner in Desmond Howard. And we did have teams that went to the Rose Bowl and won. And we did have just great winning teams, but our team, the teams, you know, would win like eight games and lose four, win nine and lose three. And those were considered successful seasons in the early nineties. But then we also had in the early nineties, the arrival of the fab five and that changed the way college basketball, not even just Michigan basketball, but the way college basketball was perceived around, like to be in the middle of that phenomenon, to like watch that unfold, to watch, you know, the way kids wore their shorts, their basketball shorts changed because of Michigan's basketball team. It was like the epicenter of the cultural zeitgeist. So that was really special. And they made it all the way to the finals two years in a row in the elite eight, the third year. So 
it was a really great time. And hockey was good back then. Hockey was good. And I don't think it's as, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we had Denny Felsner and Steve Shields in the, in the net and Brian Wiseman and Dave Robert or Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Roberts was the defenseman. And I want to say Cam Stewart. Was that the guy's name? Yeah. Yeah. That was a dude. Just great. The, those sort of those Red Berenson early '90s teams were always really good. I mean, they were they they didn't win, they didn't go to a national championship game, but they would win the CCHA, and they would you know, and going to the games at Yost were fantastic. It was a great time to be a fan. Like that's where I'd say it's parallel to right now. It like I'm imagining students who are there who are now like who had the games and their fandom taken away from them by being able to to attend live games a year ago because of COVID now for the next three years, like if you're a new incoming freshman, like to be able to go from a football game to a hockey game, go to basketball games midweek with this team, which, you know, right now they're struggling, but hopefully they will be better. It does feel like it felt for us back then, which was you felt super lucky to be at the university. And there was never like, you were never at a loss for some sporting event to support. Well, I think this season, especially because, as you alluded to, of COVID last year, took it all away. So there's such a more of a grateful feeling to be in the stands. I was lucky enough to be in attendance last weekend for Ohio State. Wow. And you hear it from Matt Leiner and analyst Joel Klaff that it was the best college football environment they've ever seen. And I think everyone is just so happy to be back. The team is good after coming off the 2-4 and season last year. And it's just a combination of all the factors that just added to this feeling of complete elation when we finally beat Ohio State state last week i mean that's why i think it was just an unbelievable atmosphere because we're trying to think of like what other atmosphere at michigan was you know could even equal that well i mean the first night game first under the lights game 2011 is that what it was uh notre dame i believe or maybe it was a little later than that but like right yeah because that was the season we went to the sugar bowl right right so like great great team you know electric quarterback the game itself wasn't so great until the very end. And then it was incredible. And like that comeback win was just outrageous. So that was good. But the whole, the environment in this game from beginning to end, the buildup of not, you know, having won in, in a decade, all that stuff. And Ohio state, your biggest rival, Notre Dame has always been a rival, but Ohio state is there. They're there. They're the boogeyman at the end of the schedule every year, not being able to get over that hump, you know, the, we sort of have gotten all the bad breaks in this series, every single bad break. Like when you think about it, the historic run that Ohio state itself is on as a team, you're up against history. In addition to this team, like no school, look at Clemson right now. Like they kind of struck out a little bit on their quarterback. He's not bad. He certainly isn't bad, but they didn't get Trevor Lawrence. They didn't get Deshaun Watson. It's like, and you go back and look at those Ohio state teams in the nineties that Michigan was beating pretty regularly. They weren't without talented players. They weren't without talented quarterbacks. Like they had good quarterbacks. But those quarterbacks weren't like all world making every single right decision in this game, like every single choice correct. Anytime like their three reads were available, they weren't like suddenly running for 25 yards to make like a third and 23. Like those things weren't happening in this game in the 90s. Like, and that's why Michigan was able to win. Well, the last 17 years since Troy Smith, really, like Troy Smith was the first quarterback who at Ohio State, you were like, yep, like 
even if we play our best game. Like the, when Michigan lost 41 to 39 and they really, really did. Was that, I, I believe that was the score where Sean Crable mm-hmm. had the late hit out of bounds. Like the 16 game or the 06 game. 06 yeah. game. Michigan really probably should have won that game. Like they had a real good chance to win that game, but they got beat by someone who just had an obscene performance. And then you kept seeing that performance play itself out by their quarterbacks over and over again, skip the rich rod years, skip some of the Hoke down years and you go, well, yeah, JT Barrett gave it to them. Uh, after JT Barrett, Haskins Haskins gave gave it it to them. And then of course, Justin Fields, Justin Fields Fields gave it to them. But like, you think Justin Fields, why couldn't Justin Fields have been a quarterback that just didn't work out? They thought he was going to be good, but it didn't work out. And then he just works out. That's what I mean by them getting the breaks. They get the break of a spot in 2016. That's ridiculous, which the game would have been over at that point. They get, they even get the break in 2017, 17. Uh, it's like, there's so many breaks that went their way. And, and I will say this about this game this past weekend, three fumbles in that game and they all fell back to Ohio state. So they were getting all the breaks and they made game. like four insane or three or four insane conversions on third down on fourth down, like insane all world catches. That's in my opinion, what makes this performance by Michigan even more outstanding and amazing and dominating is that they were able to withstand these like unusual, incredible, like guy receiver catches the ball behind a guy's back has no right making that catch. Smith and Jigba has no right to make that catch or, or, or the Olave catch over him or the Garrett's Garrett Wilson catch for the, the touchdown. touchdown. Like those were catches that could have easily been dropped in any other situation. But of course, Ohio state makes those plays, but Michigan still was 15 points better than them when the be- final bell rang. And you're like, they probably dominated them even more than that final score indicated. Or even th- <clears throat> they had the interception on the Michigan second possession and RJ Moten drops the one right at the end of the half, which would have been right. difficult. But right. again, another break that went Ohio state's way that Michigan had to overcome. Yeah, then they got three points out of that. So you say to yourself, mm-hmm. they came in the, you know, so suddenly it's 14-13 as opposed to 14-10. And that could have been a momentum killer. But for anyone inside the program, and we've heard a lot from people on the inside the program, they said, once we went in 14-13 at the break, we're like, this is our game. Like they knew. And you see that footage of them in the, in the tunnel. Like Ohio State didn't want any of that smoke coming out of there. They didn't. Now. You know Ohio State's going to hire like the greatest defensive coordinator or mastermind ever. One hundred percent, right? They're going to get someone who is going to scheme and plan with the best athletes that they have, all the five stars, to literally try and take away everything that we do next year. And so, you know, look, it's going to be a dogfight. But what if I told you that? You know, I like the way our rivalry with Penn State is. I like the way our rivalry with Wisconsin is. I like the way our rivalry. I mean, I we've gotten every bad break in our rivalry against Michigan State. Every single bad break has gone our way, and we're still kind of even with them. So if Ohio State goes back to that, a 10-year war where you just don't know who's going to win each year, or look, next year it's going to be hard to beat them there. C.J. Stroud's, you know, in his second year, and we lose our two end rushers who are going to go to the NFL. There's no question; they're gone. So yeah. you say to yourself, "Well, yeah. uh, is Braden McGregor going to be? Is he going to make that step? Is he? Gonna, I don't know. Maybe he will take that step. Maybe Mike Morris takes the next step. Who knows? They're not going to be those guys. And you're playing in Columbus, and they're going to be out for blood. But you never know. I mean, J.J. McCarthy could step up and be incredible. Cade could the two quarterback thing. You could wind up dominating them in other ways. So Donovan Edwards, I mean, we don't even know what Donovan Edwards is going to be. Like we've seen flashes, 
but like Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum, put them both in the backfield and then split either one of them out wide. Like a lot of teams yeah. will, will not have any idea how to cover this team and what empty to do. the backfield and split them both out. They're both incredible route runners. So now you got more receivers than they know what to do with. Eric all will come back next year and he's a hell of a blocker and you got the young tight ends coming in. So Look, it's it's exciting. I just think we're now back to the place where it's fun and we're back to the place where we don't know for sure that it's a death march to the end. And to course correct that from Harbaugh's perspective and from the team's perspective, and let's give credit to Mike Hart and Ron Bellamy and those new coaches coming in with the culture and the coaching. Dude, this, it's it's fun again. It's exciting again. You're absolutely right, man. We're having the best. This is without a doubt the best Michigan content week I've ever seen. Just like you guys mentioned, I'm consuming everything that comes out. Um, you, you touched on some points there about the breaks not going our way, and you are absolutely right there. I don't think that any Michigan fan worth his salt is going to disagree. So what was your level of hope and belief coming into the season versus going into this Ohio State game after having seen what this team did and kind of like rewriting some narratives um, against Penn State, winning on the road against Wisconsin? That's so, a, first of all, a great question. Second, I, I think my, I'll start by interrupting my brother. Uh, no, I appreciate I'll, that. Let me start by saying, I think I thought the team, like in my most optimistic moment would be nine and three. Uh, and I thought in my most pessimistic moment would be seven and five. That's, that's sort of the range that I felt like it would I thought if a bunch of breaks went our way, we could we could get to nine and three. I thought we would lose to Wisconsin. I thought we would beat Michigan State. I thought we would lose to Penn State and lose to and Ohio. lose to Ohio. Those are the games I really thought we just couldn't win. But as the season started to go on, as Penn State started to fall apart, as you know, once we beat Wisconsin on the road, then things sort of started to feel a little different. Even the Michigan State loss, which is such a heartbreaker now, because you realize like man, that, that strip sack touchdown, if they don't take that away, then maybe they don't get to kind of run the offense the way they want to. And that's a two-score lead you're taking into halftime as opposed to a one-score lead. It just changed things a little bit. But so once that game got past us, I was like, if we beat Penn State, I think I, I, I'm sure we're going to go 11-2. and two. I didn't think we'd beat Ohio State still. I just didn't. But I thought we'd make it closer. Like, that was my thought. Once I saw this team performed, I was like, well, we're not going to get blown out. I really don't think we're going to get blown out because we're going to keep them in front of us. And I think if we can, at worst, I thought it would be like a maybe 35 to like 28 game, which I thought would have been respectable and would have actually done some good for Michigan in the end. I didn't think we'd win, though. Yeah, I think going into the season, I, I had us at like eight and four, pretty much like everybody else. I, I thought, you know we probably would lose a tight one against Washington. Cause again, I just didn't know what we were going to have in the way of Blake Corum, who at the beginning of the year was our, you know, probably our MVP on offense. So I was like, I just don't know what we're going to get out of them. And we'll probably lose to, I just thought we'd lose the four big games, the, the ones that Jay described the other. Then when we beat won that Washington game and we won the Wisconsin game, I thought to myself, and, but we knew Michigan state was going to be good. I thought nine and three, we can do nine and three. As soon as we lost to Michigan State, I thought, uh oh, this I don't wanna I don't wanna go nine and three. I wanna win this Penn State game. And you know, at the beginning of the year when Harbaugh said we're gonna beat Ohio State or die trying, of course, it all felt like lip service in many ways. And like, what are you doing today to beat Ohio State? But now you go back and you look at it and you're like, Well, against Washington, a team that has a great run defense, 
we learned how to run the ball and then we threw it a little bit more. And then against Wisconsin, we had to throw a little bit more and we learned how to like, we ran as, as well as we could and we faced the toughest run defense we were going to face all year. Then in the Penn State game to go down. So in the, even in the Michigan State loss, you said, okay, how are we going to play with a lead having given up that lead? So you learn how to play with a lead that we use in the Ohio State game. And then the Penn State game to be down, like we were down 10-7 at the beginning of this game. We were down by three points in that Penn State game. They didn't fold on the road in a hostile environment, came back and won that game. So all the things they said they were going to do, they did. It's insane that it all came to fruition. And it's okay because it's almost like writing, you know, we're out in LA. It's like you're writing like a streaming series. If you're doing a season of a streaming series, you know, they aren't episodic shows like Friends, where once the episode is over, you restart again at the beginning. There, you have to pay attention to the lo- the season long storyline while that. also doing a little episode that has a beginning, middle, and an end. So each game is kind of like that. If you're paying attention to the overall storyline, you also can pay attention to each episode, which is a game here, which is kind of what they did. And so it's just amazing that they won. And now I feel like. We got to put it to Iowa. I mean, and because and, Iowa really screwed up the 2016 season. Hurting Wilton Spate, that weird ass game. Jay and I were down in San Diego. We doing, were driving down to San Diego. No, no, no. We were in to, San Diego. I, I was driving back. You were in San Diego. I was driving back down. I was watching, listening in my car, and also sort of watching while I was driving, which is completely stupid. Uh, but and I yeah. just kept saying in that game, like, why aren't we scoring more? This team is not that great. The Iowa team is not that good. Why aren't we? We're missing the guys are dropping balls. We're missing things like weird calls and stuff. And then we didn't win that game and Wilton Spate got hurt. He kind of a healthy Wilton Spate, I think, wins that game at Ohio State. Yes. And if you win that game against Iowa, who cares about Ohio State? You're still going to the playoff anyway. You're in. Yep. And so it just I feel like we owe Iowa big time. We owe them big time. And I want to like beat them down. They're not a good <laughs> offensive. They're not a good offensive team. I think their tackles are going to get owned. They're going to get abused. I just don't think they're going to pass very much. I really think they're going to try to avoid dropping back and passing because of the threat. So I do fear for Aiden's like Heisman push. I don't know that he's going to get a lot of opportunities to get at the quarterback. I think you're looking at like a team that might pass like 12 to 14 times all game. I think that's why it's important for Michigan to get out ahead. So they have to pass to try to come back. They can't just shorten the game with a run anymore. Well, I think Michigan will keep them off the field with their run. And I think you're going to see a lot of Donovan Edwards out of the backfield catching some balls. And I actually am going to predict a big game for Andrell Anthony. That dude is a gamer. I'm so excited. I just don't think their back end can keep up with that dude. And he can high point some balls. I think JJ is going to have a good game. I just don't think they, they, I don't think they have in their arsenal something to handle a quarterback that can do the things that he can do. Yeah. I don't think we can just load it up and just run into a, a loaded box. I don't think Michigan can do that in this game because I was too like sound. They they don't like, they don't make mistakes. They fit the right run fits. They do what they have to do. So you're going to have to get a little creative. You're going to have to make it look like we're running straight into the box and then misdirect or, you know, JJ, keep it and run around the outside. That's right. 
I love it. Yeah, I, I think it was Randy that said something earlier that not a lot of teams are going to have an answer for uh, Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum out of the backfield. Iowa especially. Riley Moss. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Riley Moss also uh, with a missing PCL in this game, by far their best cover guy. So I think that could also be interesting. Who are some guys that are maybe not Aiden Hutchinson and Hassan Haskins that you guys are really keeping your eye on or have really impressed you this season that you want to give a moment to? I mean, I definitely think Junior Colson, even though he's made mistakes, that's a guy. Uh, Junior Colson and and uh, Josh Ross. Ross has been, I feel like, certainly in the Ohio State game, and obviously he has the signature third down stop, like mm-hmm. where he shot, yeah. you know, shot the gap and and made that play. But that's a guy who I think is trying right now to establish his legacy. And I think his, like, he has talent. Yes, I think Junior Colson probably has more raw talent. But I think Josh Ross is saying, hey, this is my chance. This is, I've had a very disjointed career with some way high ups and some low, low downs. And this is my chance to do it. So I, those two guys for me have really, and then I would also give, I'm going to give a nod to like DJ Turner, who I think surprised a lot of people. You you know, we were worried, so worried about our, our back end. And you got to give credit to Klingscale, but like uh, how he's brought these guys along and the plan, you know, the overall scheme definitely covers up our weaknesses in a way that the old scheme didn't. But DJ Turner, it, he's made plays for this team. Like, I think that's something to be excited about moving forward. Yeah, I mean, those are great. Those are all great names. I mean, I think Eric All has had the best like November ever. I went back and just look at, I mean, look at the AJ heading touchdown. He just, he puts a hat on someone and literally he put a hat on someone there. Then the Hassan Haskins 13 yard run after the Blake Corum 53 yard run. He put someone like into the, literally into the front row of the stands and would not stop blocking. Like that dude, I I can even forgive his jumping off sides because he was so excited. He just wanted to literally destroy someone. And that's what you need coming off the edge. So like, to me, I get excited because I'm like Colt Colston Loveland. Is that his first name? Colston or Colton love Colton Loveland, the guy from the, the, the Idaho tight end. So he's, he's amazing. He's going to be an amazing tight end. You want that guy to have one year with Eric all where Eric all is like, dude, you got to get huge and you got and you can be great but you have got to be able to just obliterate people because to me that that tight end extra tight end pull is just incredible i think you got to single out andrew vistardis who was obviously hurt last year obviously like there was no question that he was hurt last year the fact when he was a captain this year i think a lot of people were like what this guy he was terrible last year they were talking about moving zach zinner to center but this dude has gotten out i think he basically gave himself a pro career this year by coming back that six year, even though he's going to be a doctor, but he gave himself an opportunity to be a professional, professional lineman somewhere. So I love that guy. And, you know, I I think we can honestly say that our problems last year as a team, yes, we had opt outs. Yes. COVID kind of destroyed a lot of things and not having Ambry Thomas, probably our best defensive guy in the back and, and not having um, Nico Collins, our best offensive. Those are bad, but, we made the wrong call on the quarterback. We picked the wrong yeah. guy and and we need to everybody needs to be more honest with that. Joe Milton is not the guy. He's an off the bus guy. You look at him, you're like he's 6'5", he looks like a statue, can throw the ball 100 yards. 
whatever. That's not going to win a game. That's just not going to win you the game. Not only is it not going to win you a game, he actively lost them games. <laughs> I, I'm not, and I don't want to lay yeah. to, I don't want to like pot dog pile on the kid, but I'm telling you right now, he, that the, the first two possessions and the first two plays against Wisconsin were two interceptions. Those were his fault. Those were bad throws. And that put the team so far behind the sticks at that point, it was over. The game was over 14, nothing in the first like few minutes with the team that had trouble. Like Cade McNamara doesn't make those mistakes. How do I know? Cause Cade was in for like two series and he drove the team down the field with like four throws and got a touchdown against that Wisconsin defense. We saw what Cade did against them this year. He didn't, he didn't make mistakes. I think if Cade McNamara was the quarterback of the team last year, you would have gone at least at minimum four and two, possibly five and one. So if he's not hurt for that Penn State game, you're winning that game. There's just no question. Yeah. yeah. You win that game. You win the Michigan State game. So now you're suddenly four and two. And now the two questions are Indiana, which I do think he would have hit Ronnie Bell on that deep overthrow that Joe Milton, even if they call that play. And he wouldn't have thrown interceptions. He would not. I mean, this is a guy who, that's the other thing about this team. The two things about this team that I think have helped, you know, K. McNamara is not the most dynamic quarterback in the world. He's got limitations. But he he doesn't make mistakes. And so mistakes haven't killed us this season. And the other thing is we have a guy who in, he checks down and gets you the yardage. He gets us into the third and two situation because then we become like Army. And we're like third and two, that's two down territory. Hassan Haskins is going to push the pile. Even if he runs into the wrong gap, even if he makes the wrong decision, even if he runs to the back of his lineman, he's going to get you two yards and two downs. So you will always get, you will always get the first down. There are very few three and outs for this team this year. And as a result, your defense rests. As a result, your offense gains confidence. As a result, you're able to open up the field and make more plays. Cade McNamara is the master of giving us second and six, third and two, second and four, all third Cade, and one. All Cade McNamara has to be is 97 Brian Greasy. And to me, I think that's the best comp for that dude. Right? I love that. Right? I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's tremendous. Yeah, well, I mean, we saw how that worked out too. So, um, all right, guys, we know you got a hard out here coming up, but I want to get some predictions for this game and may, uh, score predictions and your players of the game. Wow. Um, I think it is going to be a little mucked up thanks to Iowa. They just do that. They like make it sticky and they just make it rough to go wild on them. I think Michigan is going to win. I don't think they're going to win by as much that as we want them to, to make it feel comfortable. I'm predicting uh, 28 to 14 Michigan wins. Um, and I think player of the game Wow, that's a tough one. I think I'm going to stick with it. It's it's a little chalky, but I'm going to give it to Hassan Haskins because I think this dude is, I think right now he's on a mission and I think he picks up 150 yards in this game. I think he has a lot of hard-earned yards, but he has like one or two big 30 to 40-yard runs where he breaks through their first line of defense and then he's really hard to bring down. So I'm going to say 35-13 Michigan. And I think, like you said, if we can score a couple, like score a touchdown, maybe get a stop. Doesn't have to be a three and out, but just get a stop and then come back and score again. It's going to throw Iowa off of all the things they want to do. It's going to get them out of their comfort zone. I predict two sacks by Aiden Hutchinson. I predict oh. a strip sack by David Ojabo. And I'm going to predict that I really do. I don't know why I have this feeling that Andrell Anthony is going to step out and make one or two plays 
that are just that are just going to tell you what this team is going to be next year with that guy. I mean, again, Ronnie Bell's coming back. Think of the receiving core next year. Ronnie Bell, Andrew oh Anthony, God. CJ. Hanning, Roman. Hanning, Roman. Roman's really become like a, a possession receiver. He's the guy who can't he, – I really like the way he's running his routes and getting into the spots in the zone. Like we forget that he's a speedster. You know, yeah. like mm-hmm. probably the fastest dude on the team right now. So like the but but he knows how to get in between the the up front and the deep guy and then he makes plays he makes the catch he he's got yep. sure hands uh, he's a really sure handed receiver yeah Michigan has four is Sandra still back next year he is he's a junior yeah because he has the COVID eligibility oh, yeah. and and the other thing about Sandra still is that he's a great blocker so again you want those guys to be showing the younger guys you know how basically how to, how this thing goes like that I kind of love the way the sort of it's it's set up you got a lot of young guys playing the rod moores and junior colson's of this world which by the way should be the biggest recruiting tool ever you go on the road and you got people you say to them hey you you want to play in your first year andrew anthony you want to make an impact on this team right away you can look at these guys who did it you totally can hey kenneth grant you might be the guy next year you might be the guy in the middle hey mason graham you got a motor that's incredible like in two years you could be aiden hutchinson you know, and so I think that that can go a long way, even though it didn't go all the way for Damani Jackson. It, it can go a long way. <laughs> Damani Jackson felt the snow in Michigan and was like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. You know, he, he would have been he would have been awesome. I mean, what would you have done next year if you had him and Will Johnson? Like, do you not start DJ Turner? I mean, I think DJ Turner's got one spot, but I think Will Johnson is your is your starting is your other guy. We're going to get Zeke Berry anyway, so he'll be great. Right. I'm yeah, that's going to happen. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, Vincent Gray could come back, but I believe he's earned an NFL draft spot this year. He's been tremendous and just kind of unsung. He'll be an undrafted free agent. Is is you know I don't know if he's measurable. He's tall, which is good. You know, if he can get some more speed and whatnot. But like, absolutely, I think kind of like a, in a Channing Stribling sort of a way is like the type of guy. Better, yeah, a better coverage Channing Stribling right. or yeah, or better tackling Channing Stribling too, better. yeah. So so that's been huge this year, the open field tackling of Vincent Gray. Like he's just been, even when guys have caught the ball in front of him, he has made that tackle and he has not. To me, that's awesome. That's just, that's just awesome. And it shows a team that's like focused. I love this team. Like how do you not love this team? <laughs> Love they it. have no glaring weaknesses. That's the best part. There's not like one spot where you're just deathly terrified where they're going to exploit offensively or defensively. And if they get down, you say to yourself, okay, reach back, get those guys, huddle them up and say, Penn State, we were down in a really difficult time. We can come back. We definitely can come back. We were down against Ohio State. We can come back. So I, I do believe that they win this game against Iowa. I believe that they can win the first game of a of a college football playoff, whoever it was against either Oklahoma state or I'm hoping Alabama loses. So in which case it'd be Oklahoma state or uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. So, I mean, I do believe that like you probably could win that game, which would mean anything's possible in a championship game. You just never know what's going to happen. And I just think to me, that would be like the dream for this team and this coach. And I think would erase last thing I'll say is, Remember in the beeline as beeline off of the 2013 national championship game, like you felt like he whiffed on some five-star recruits. He wasn't really getting it. The, the team started to kind of go down a little bit that year that Derek Walton then in February went off. Then the plane went off the runway. They win the big 10 tournament, in their practice jerseys, they make a deep run in the tournament. Then the next year they come back to the championship, you know, championship game, lose to Villanova, but like still, 
you know, what, what you have was a narrative that got rewritten. And I feel like it's kind of hat. We're watching it happening with Harbaugh right now. And if he can, if they can make a deep run here, win this game, that's all you got to do, make it to the playoffs, win one. You're now changing the narrative of what people are saying about Harbaugh and they're going to forget about all that other stuff. Yeah, absolutely, guys. And uh, all right, no, you got a hard out. We really, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, View from the Cheap Seats podcast is among our favorite. If you haven't checked that out, you absolutely need to check that out. Um, Dumb People Town, I just listened to having lived in both Ohio and Florida. It's hilarious, especially if you come from a place full of dumb people. I highly recommend (laughs) that. Uh, Anything else you guys are working on? Uh, We do have a Patreon, which has been really fun. It's an awesome way to support uh, artists and comedians, certainly through the pandemic when we haven't been able to perform as much. Uh, It's only five bucks a month across the board for us. And we do a new episode of our old classic show, Cheap Seats. We call it Cheaper Seats where we cover everything from Battle of the Network Stars to Cornhole cornhole tournaments to we did the Balloon World Cup, which is guys trying to keep a balloon in the air around couches and cars. <laughs> it's so much fun. And we just sit there and riff and make jokes over all that material. It's like Mystery Science Theater 3000, but with old, weird sporting events. And it is a blast. We did a high dive competition from 1980. That was crazy. <laughs> it's just super, super fun stuff. And uh, and we do a new one of those. We give you a new one every month on so our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Sklar Brothers. And then if you're in Chicago, I don't know if you guys have listeners in Chicago on New Year's Eve, we'll be at the Comedy Shrine doing two shows. We never do New Year's Eve shows. But they were like, do you guys want to come and do this this year? And we thought, you know what? Let's give it a try. So we'll be in the Chicago area in Aurora, Illinois, home of uh, Garth and Wayne. Uh-huh. from Wayne's yes. world. Uh, so take out the street hockey game, put it away, come see us uh, at the comedy shrine on new year's Eve. It's going to be a lot of fun. Super Sklar. Game on. Yeah. Super Sklar. Game, game, on. game, game on, on, baby. Super Sklar. You got no, no. You guys, seriously, we're so, so thankful. Thank you for coming on. Thank yes. you for giving us your time. We know you're very busy. Thank you all. Cheers guys. Go blue. Man, special thank you to the Sklar brothers. That was awesome. A ton of fun having those guys on. And those dudes know their stuff. This isn't just like, oh, they were Michigan fans and they're going to come. Like those dudes, they're talking about Zeke Berry. They're like going back to specific plays over a decade ago. Awesome. Awesome talking ball with those guys. Yeah, dude, the diehard of the diehards. We listened to old interviews and did our research beforehand. But these guys know ball. All we, all you and I have to do is set some screens, throw some blocks, and let these guys cook. And they did not disappoint. I like that you uh, mixed your sports metaphors there. It's like all we got to do is uh, keep the ball down the middle of the fairway, <laughs> set some screens, and throw some blocks. I, I, you know, I'm multifaceted with my sports coverage. I like to bring that to my analogies as well. <laughs> yeah, it shows, my friend. Um, man, what a great week for you. I know you've got a heart out too because you're going on the radio after this. And uh, God, what a what a win against Ohio State can do. It has literally changed both of our fortunes in the last few weeks. Yeah, our lives are significantly better because of three hours last Saturday, and it's going to continue that way. We're just going to ride this positive momentum all the way through Christmas in the 2022, baby. We also may have broken college football because the coaching carousel and the college football landscape is completely upended right now. Brian Kelly has left Notre Dame. He is going to LSU. We know about the Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma, going to USC. Florida hires Billy Napier. The dominoes are falling here. Oklahoma still remains open. What do you make of this this chaos? Is it strictly because Michigan beat Ohio? I have to assume it is. 
Yeah, solely. That's the only reason. <laughs> no, nothing else. Money, you know, whatever else. Legacy. Yeah. No. Michigan beat Ohio, and we broke everything. So everything's in shambles, and we are more secure than everybody with Jim Harbaugh at the helm. Where's Brady Hoke gonna go? The the guy deserves another shot, but is anyone gonna give him another Power Five shot after Michigan? He's had eleven wins at two schools. Give him give him like Georgia Tech or something at least. Come on. Yeah, why not? Nobody can win at Georgia Tech anyway. Dude, I root for Brady Hoke so hard because he's like generally just like a good, happy uncle that comes to your barbecue. You know, Belum is on the grill. Hoke shows up for a good time. Dispute over, you know, which beer is truly American. So you always got to root for Brady Hoke. Man, Deardorff's over in the corner talking about a fishing trip. Now that's a barbecue I'd attend. <laughs> if Belum is on the grill, I'm not missing. No, you don't miss that. What are you out of your mind? Uh, speaking of Midwestern grandfathers, Don Brown took the UMass job, which is also interesting considering Arizona was awful this year. I think it just speaks to the fact that UMass is the worst program in all of college football. And no offense to Don Brown there. It's If that's who you're going after, after the last three years we've seen of him, that's a rough look. The dude's like 80. <laughs> Don Brown's definitely no, no spring chicken, so... Good. I mean, good on him. He's a head coach. I think he went to UMass, didn't he? I think he did. He's, he's definitely a, from that part of the country. He's a minute man, I'm pretty sure. If not, he is now. So <laughs> good on him. We're rooting for him. Um, I really hope he can have success. I'm glad he's not working in Michigan, but no ill will. We have Mike McDonald and skies are sunny. Yes, indeed they are. Uh, Jason and Randy Sklar gave us their great breakdown of what they think is going to happen this week against Iowa. Still want to get yours and our predictions because we've rung true most of the season um we haven't predicted a loss yet so according to us we should be 12 and 0 but i mean we're off by a game so i'd say we got to keep this thing rolling man so uh i i definitely agree a lot with what jason was saying i see it kind of the same way um but let's hear how you see this game going out it's it's interesting because i see it more like randy does so I think Michigan's going to work to establish the run really attack the edges and the speed of this Iowa defense why i think they are they can be stout in the middle. I think they can really be exploited on the edges. So Haskins can do that, but especially Corum and Donovan Edwards. I expect a big Donovan Edwards or Blake Corum game. I'm going to lean just, I'm going to lean Donovan Edwards just because of the health. Corum gets another week, but I think it's a big Donovan Edwards game, whether catching the ball or just getting it on the perimeter. And defensively, I think this could be a big Josh Ross game. Just stopping Tyler Goodson is the key to making them one-dimensional. And if the ball is in the hands of Petrus or uh, Padilla, best of luck. Just best of luck to Iowa Hawkeyes. So I think it's going to be a big game for him stopping the run, especially coming off what they just did to Travion Henderson. I think he shines. Michigan gets up big early. Iowa attacks on a field goal late, 34-6. to uh, I like a lot of what you said, especially you touched on Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. I think all of us, including uh, our esteemed guests, kind of see it that way, that those guys are going to be a tough matchup for them. Hassan Haskins is always going to be a tough matchup for anybody. Um, it's kind of just assumed that at this point. But that's the kind of game they want is those three, four yard runs and muddling it up and making you convert a ton of third downs. So I could see maybe those big play guys, like you mentioned, being a little bit bigger. Big plays will be big here. I mean, that's that's a dumb sentence that I just said. <laughs> a bit redundant, but that's, that's why I'm not a professional journalist. Uh, but the big plays will be key in this. I think that you need to get some chunk plays against a team that wants to muddle it up wants to make this a low-scoring game. I do think it'll a little be a little bit more low-scoring because of their defense, so that's why I see it around the 27-13 range here. Um, and I'm going to go with Corum because I think the extra week's going to be big. I mean, the dude had like 80 yards rushing on a bum ankle. 
another week. I think Corum will be back and, and he'll be healthy in this. On defense, um, I really like your your Josh Ross call there. I think that he had his best game against Ohio State. Um, I think that you're right on target there, but just to keep things interesting, I'll go DJ Turner. If they are forced to pass it around a lot, if we get up by two scores, like you said, they're in trouble. Neither of their quarterbacks frighten me, and especially if Hutchinson and Ojaba are able to turn loose. So I could see a pick, and I'm going with our best cornerback this year, DJ Turner. All right. I have one pop quiz question for you, sir. Hit me. All right. Who was president when Kirk Ferentz became head coach of Iowa? Chester A. Arthur, the, <laughs> the brawler. The brawler himself? Yeah, the brawler himself. Uh, no, I will say that it would be Bill Clinton. Nice. Nailed it. 1999 was his first year at the helm of the Iowa Hawkeyes. So he has been there since the 90s. He was there for the Y2K scare. <laughs> that is absurd. Uh, do you think that employing his son as the offensive coordinator is nepotism that is dragging this team down? They have very few games where their passer rating is over 100, which is not good. And so long as their passer rating is over 100, they're like undefeated, basically. And if it's below that, they still are like, I don't know, it's like seven and four or something. I saw the stat just passing through today. But is he limiting this offense by keeping his his son as the offensive coordinator? Because this offense is atrocious. I'm sorry. Yeah, not good. Um, expert opinion. It's it could be. It very well could be that uh, he's holding him back. Maybe Ference likes this style and he taught it to him. I don't know. But Iowa's always going to be Iowa. So they've had an, they were they were 12 and 0 and 15, I believe. So I mean they've had success, and this year they're off to a hot start and still like managed 10 and 2. So. It's working to an extent, but it's like you always know what you're going to get from them. Not much is going to change when you've been there since 99. 10-2 with their schedule versus 11-1 and one with, with ours are just not the same thing. Their best win is over Iowa State at Iowa State, which isn't – I mean, it is a home game for Iowa State, but it's in the same area, so it's not going to be as crazy of a home field advantage there. So, I mean, they beat Nebraska this last week by seven, which has to set a record for single-score losses in a season for Nebraska – uh, I almost feel bad for him there. But the the only thing Michigan can't do in this game is ride too high off of Ohio State and think that the Ohio State win guarantees you this win, which I don't think this team will do. But so long as you're preparing like you've prepared every week, I, I, I could see a world where we house them. Job's not finished. And I really think there are more outcomes where Michigan blows them out in this one. So you can't give two predictions because that's a cop-out. But there are more worlds where this game is 45 nothing 38 nothing than it is 16 to 13 17 to 7 or something like that if we go into the half and it's like six to three or something i'm going to be nervous because you're going to get some of those vibes like uh like the, the boys were talking about back in 2016 where we owe them one yep. you know and in that game it was like man we should be way up we should have way more points on the board so yeah you don't want to get into that sort of slog fest but we have so many weapons so many more weapons that, I mean, we just showed to Ohio State, like, all right, so you're going to key on Haskins? Like, cool, here comes Donovan Edwards. Here comes Eric All. Here comes CJ. Here comes – so there's a lot of things that we can do even if they come out really locked in on defense, which I could see. I could see them coming out and playing a, a good first half. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that as the game goes on, we're going to wear them down with our speed. Especially neutral site game. This is not in Kinnick. Got a little revenge in 2019, but it wasn't the overwhelming game you wanted. A 10 to 3 affair with Nate Stanley back there. So Josh Gaddis has schemed against this defense before, but 
now he's got a much better offense, much better command, and is a complete, completely in his bag in this one. So I really think he's going to exploit them. Man, this is the best time that we've ever been or had on this podcast. That is not some sort of uh, hyperbole there. This has been awesome. And uh, it's not done. You're about to hop on the radio here. We have just decided that even if they're not going to send us to the national championship game and to the playoff games, you and I are probably going to try and find a way to go and do something, do some sort of live, interact with the fans, something. I mean, you and I, 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 my Thailand trip was postponed for reasons that aren't this, but now I'm kind of happy it's postponed because this is all happening. So we're going to make the most of it, man, and we're going to live this up. And the heart is the heart is light. And there are some tattoos to get. So also yeah. good coverage, live podcast while getting tattoos. Um, it'll be part of it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get them. If we're going to the Natty, we are for sure getting our tattoos. Uh, Natty's in Indy. Yes. All right, well, time to start Googling some tattoo parlors in the in the region. <laughs> Get our mics with us set up, guys. Just ignore us. We're going to talk this whole time and uh, grimace through the pain, but it's great content. <laughs> There's going to be a slight buzzing in the background. That'll just be the tattoo needle. <laughs> just ignore it. It's fine. Ignore it. <laughs> All right, back to Junior Colson and coverage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this was fun. Uh, thank you again to the Sklar brothers. That was really That's awesome. Great. Just a great moment for us and incredibly generous and just good dudes and uh thank you to the listeners for sticking with us for five years of pain to to get to this and to now really be enjoying the job again enjoying football again and i've always enjoyed your company but it's even better now i I know it is i've always you know enjoyed hanging out but it's definitely progressed over these last five years and i mean shout out omar shout out jose logan bristol some of our most loyal like listeners around that always interact with us on the daily on Twitter. So it's been really nice, man. Like Twitter's a hellscape and it sometimes feels endless and inescapable. But with those guys and all the positive energy we're putting out there, it's been a great season. It's been fun, man. Special shout out to Wes Anderson, who's been on this podcast before and I forgot to mention and uh, who does our music every yes. week. So sp- shout out to him. And uh, man, that's going to do it for us on this special episode. We're going to be back with a ton more coverage, especially after we house Iowa. Make sure that you follow us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple Music, or whatever. You can follow us on Twitter at Brew. You can follow me on Twitter at JStorm303. You can follow Andy at UMAndyB. Andrew B. Andrew B. Sorry about that, my friend. <laughs> I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue, and we'd like to remind you that wherever you go, especially in Championship Week, go blue. Go blue.